0: It's the People Make Things Podcast, where we talk about the life behind the scenes and in the trenches of the modern entertainment industry. I'm your host, Christopher Natsume, better known on the internet as Nine Squirrels. So as a lot of you know, I just got back from a trip to America, and it was, it was a fascinating trip in a number of ways. I went over to participate in the Penny Arcade Expo in San Antonio. This is the smallest of the Penny Arcade Expos, but it's the one I've been to twice. And before I get into a, a, a real big description of the show and what we did there, I got to share a story with you. Um, it was it was one of the most interesting things I've seen in a long time. So I'm I'm on the plane over. It's a it's a Delta flight, and I'm in the. I'm in the middle, you know, they've got three seats on one side, three seats on the other side and three seats in the middle. So I'm sitting there, I'm in the, 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 the right hand side of the three middle seats and, and the plane is totally full. I mean, there's not an empty seat on the whole plane and it's one of those late night flights. We're somewhere deep over the, the Pacific ocean We're we're heading on our way over to North America. Lights are all out. It's totally dark and the guy next to me is kind of a uh, overweight uh, Japanese gentleman he, he pulls out this magazine, and he, he starts flicking through it. And it's kind of dark. It's kind of hard to see what's going on. So he reaches up, and he turns on the light. And you have to understand, the the whole plane is totally dark. And so when he turns on the light, you know, it's like a, the spotlight of God turns on there in the front of the plane. And and I look over, and I realize the dude is reading porn. And I was just like, wow. You know, I have I have in my whole life, I've always wondered, like, what would happen if I I just, like, you know, I, I always thought about it as a computer, you know. What if I opened up my laptop and just started watching porn on a plane? What would someone do to me? But it's it's one of those things that, you know, you have those thoughts like, you know, what would happen if I just walked into a store and dropped my pants? You know, what would people do? And and you wonder about it, but you never actually do it, right? You just think like, Wow, that's a really weird thing. It's 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 like there's this sort of social convention that we've all joined in where we've said, you know, okay, here's this thing that you're never gonna do. And we just don't do it, and you don't really think about, you know, what would happen if you did it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, reading porn on a packed airplane is on the list of stuff that you're, you know, we've all just sort of agreed that we're not going to do. But this guy just didn't give a fuck, you know, and he he sat there and he and it was the weirdest thing because he read it just like you would be reading a normal magazine. And and you know, I I don't want to be one to talk about what you should be doing when you're reading your porn, but you know, it was like watching him read a newspaper. It was like, you know, I got, I got to get this out of the way. I got to. And he looked at each page, you know, very carefully, read the little articles and whatnot. And for a good solid two hours over the Pacific, I quietly sat there and, you know, pretended to watch my movie while I watched a guy read a porn magazine on a, on, a, on an airplane. So, so that was, that was, I, I don't know what that story is apropos of. I don't know, like I don't know where that fits in the grand scheme of things, but it was it was just such a thing. I had to share it. I'd I'd let you know about that. So there there was that. Um and so I, I get to the States and you know I go and I I gotta prepare all the computers and I gotta do all the stuff and you know, I hang out with my parents and whatnot. And you know, I have to say it was It was different. The last time I went to America, and I, I don't want to talk too much about politics, but the last time I went to America I well the 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 president was Barack Obama right and obviously as the as everyone in the world knows now the president is no longer Barack Obama and that that changed literally the day before I got there so I I flew in the day after Trump was officially made president and I, I had this it was a weird little fear that I had I, I was getting off of the plane and. It, at immigration in Detroit, where I usually get through the plane, as you walk towards immigration, there's this big wall, and the wall has a big, you know, welcome to America. And there's always a big picture of the president under the welcome to America sign. And I've, I've kind of gotten used to every time I go to America, I fly through Detroit, and, you know, there's Barack Obama saying hi and, and welcoming to the country. But this time I didn't fly through Detroit. I flew through Los Angeles, and I, I hadn't been through immigration a long, in Los Angeles in a long time. But I had this thought in the back of my head of like, what do I do if I get off the plane and the first, you know, thing I see is Donald Trump's big old orange smiling face staring back at me and welcoming me to me? I just, I couldn't even tolerate the thought of it, you know, and I, I just thought, God, I don't, I don't want to see that. That that sounds terrible, you know, and I walked off and thank God there, there wasn't one Uh, for whatever reason. I guess I don't, and I, I don't remember, maybe Los Angeles never had the thing or maybe they took it down or I don't know, but there wasn't any. Any welcome from Donald Trump there on the wall—it made coming back easier. But, but even though Donald wasn't there for me to you know see when I got off the plane, he was very much there. That was that was it was so strange to be in America, and feel how much this person has has completely taken over the country. And I don't mean taken over the country in the sense that he's you know some sort of dictator and he rules over us, but but in the sense that Every conversation that you have, every interaction that you have with somebody, seems to be only a couple turns of conversation away from talking about Donald Trump. And I, I it, it's really hard to get your head around how pervasive this person has become in American culture. It, it, it this is all anybody wants to talk about. And I can't, you know, we've had—I've been through, you know, presidents. I've been through, you know, Clinton and and a couple Bushes, and and you know, I can remember a lot of presidents. And even in the sort of worst times of the George Bush presidency, even back when we were finding out about the tortures and the Abu Ghraib and, and and you know during the all the well, you you remember the Bush presidency was, was was not great even right after 9/11 I don't remember everyone being this interested in government or this interested in talking politics it's something very very different and it was. What was very strange for me was I went back to Texas, and and as you all know, Texas is a red state. Texas voted for Trump. And I met with a lot of people. I met with people, you know, all through PAX. I was talking to people. I met with people. And, you know, obviously I didn't talk politics with all the people who came to the booth to play our game, but I ended up talking politics with a, a lot more people than I thought I would because everybody wanted to talk about it. And I never talked to anyone other than my parents who had anything halfway decent to say about Trump. But even my parents, who are, you know, they'll tell you they're independent voters, but they voted Republican since Nixon. Um, even my more or less Republican parents couldn't really, couldn't really muster up anything positive to say about Trump or positive to say what's going on. I mean, the best they could come up with was, yeah, Clinton was terrible and it was a terrible choice and blah, 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 but... But even they couldn't say like they were hopeful or, or had anything positive to say about what's going on. And I thought, this man won the election. And and he not just won the election, he won it right there in Texas. And I I went to Austin, I went to Dallas, I went to San Antonio. And in none of these places did I run into anyone that I, I thought could have possibly supported this man. Um, and it got me to thinking, it got me to thinking about how divided the country is. Cause cause obviously those people are there. I know those people must be there. The numbers are there. You know, the, the country voted for him. The, the the state voted for him. And you know, aside from all the the de loo about, oh, it wasn't the popular vote or whatnot, millions and millions of people voted for this man, and I couldn't find any of them. And I thought the reason I can't find any of them is because I have so curated my experience in America. I've so curated the people I interact with and the world that I interact with that there is an entirely separate America out there, an America that sees everything very differently from me. And I have largely excluded that America from my life. It it doesn't exist to me. And that's why we have a President Trump, because there is this very different world and these people who are living very very different lives and and we're not we're not interacting with them so it was for me it was very strange and it was it was very illuminating to to walk around and to to see this world that that we had created where there's two totally different species of americans and i only i only could contact one of them and i wonder like what what do we have to do to change that what do we have to do to get to a place where i I would meaningfully interact with somebody who genuinely feels so differently from me, with somebody who genuinely leads a life so different from mine. How do I get to a place where I can I can really hear them and I can really hear their concerns and hear what's going on with them and where they can really hear me? I, I don't know how we get there, but at at the risk of talking politics, for me, that was that was the overwhelming arc of my trip. So anyway, that's my bit about politics. I'll tell you one other funny story. I was getting in the truck there in Austin and I have forgotten that my parents listen to AM radio. So I turned on the AM radio. And the very first words that I hear come out of the AM radio was this uh this thick Texas accent. This guy says, the very first words I hear, he says, Well, I don't know what to call it other than a cabal, but it is clear that a cabal of Muslims have infiltrated the Republican Party. And you know, when you hear that, when when you hear those words, you know you're going to listen to the rest of this, right? You're not going to turn that off, right? So I keep listening, and he goes on, and he, he's he got this whole story, you know, that you have to understand that they can't come right out and say what it is they want to say, so you need to learn the special hand signals. And if you watch... These Republicans talk, and you watch their hands. You, if you know how to read it properly, can see that they are messaging for jihad. And I just, I thought to myself, you know, this guy in, on the radio—he's—he's—he's he's, he's talking to somebody. You know, he doesn't get to be on the radio unless somebody listens to him. If, he, if, he, if it's a totally silent audience, then you know they're gonna—they're not gonna let him be there. So, so there's people out there that are. That are genuinely into this, and I, I just, I just thought to myself, "Wow, there's this world, and and I'm not, I'm not aware of this world, but it's, it's certainly there." And uh, yeah, so there's that. There's my, there's my AM radio story. So anyway, Pack South. Let's talk about games for a little bit. So I get down the Pack South, and I had this incredible, incredible experience at Pack South, and the incredible experience comes from the community that we built. I actually went down by myself, and the only people who came and helped me and worked out at the booth were volunteers, and the volunteers came from different places. Um, one of the volunteers was actually the, the friend of the daughter of a friend of mine from, from college. Uh, another set of the volunteers were people that worked for a guy that uh, came out and helped me when I was at uh, PAX East in Boston, and they came out to help. And the last ones, and the, 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 these are the ones that are really interesting to me, they came from our community. There they, they was actually one of our our streamers, and and she was somebody who had streamed our game, who had been really active in our community, uh, continues to be extremely active in our community. And she came out, and she brought her roommate with her, and she brought uh, another friend of theirs with them, and the, the three of those people spent a lot of time hanging out in our booth and working in our booth. Um, I got to thinking about that as, as the real value of a community because the, the, you know, sure it was nice. They helped out in the booth and that was real helpful, but it was, it was a sign of something a lot bigger. And that was a sign of people that really genuinely care about what we're doing. And for me, this has been the most exciting part about running booms app recently. We used to be in this world where, you know, we would make a game and we hand it to a publisher and the publisher would sort of take care of the rest of it. And since we started working on strategy games and since we started self-publishing and since we moved away from free-to-play, we've started this sort of journey to really get to know our customers and to, to get involved with our customers. And it hasn't been an easy journey. It's not something that we, we did you know overnight. This is something that we started building this time last year. In fact, it was right after we came back from PAX South last year that we, we really started thinking about building this community. And we started it by, you know, kickstarting our game and putting it in early access and, and doing live streaming. And when we started it, I guess I still came at it from an from a almost mercenary standpoint of how can we go out and get users? And, you know, when we did our Kickstarter, obviously, how do we get people to come and give us money for our Kickstarter? And when we started live streaming during early access, uh, my my original impetus for it was I wanted to understand live streamers better. I wanted to know what it was like to be a live streamer. And rather than just go read some articles about it, I thought it would be healthier for me to, you know, man up and and go do some live streams and kind of experience that lifestyle. And so I went for months and months doing, you know, live stream after live stream, doing two or three a week, uh, live streaming our development, bringing people in, playing multiplayer games with them in live streams. And through all of this, what I learned was the heart of live streaming. The heart of what's going on in gaming right now is exactly this stuff. It's about building a community. It's about feeling like you're part of something. And looking around at packs and walking around packs, I realized that this is what really separated the quality products from the stuff that wasn't so great. Was the people who had a community. And you could go look. You know, and I, I was I was talking to some friends about what was different in games and all the technological advances and it, and it used to be that games were all about the technology they were all about oh we've got this new shader that we can use and oh now we're you know we're not in 2D anymore or we're in 3D or you know oh now we're not 8-bit anymore we're 32-bit and you know there, all of these changes that go through games for me the most interesting change that's ever happened in games is happening right now and it has very little to do with technology what it's about is about this direct communication that we have with our users. Um, for for Boomzap, we actually have a Discord channel, and every day, live in Discord, I'm there chatting with our users, not not answering their emails on some sort of you know uh, you know time delay or something like that, but literally the second one of our users wants to ask a question about the game, one of us is there answering the question about the game. And what's what's fascinating is over time. This has really become a two-way street. It's not just me being there answering questions about Callesia. It's me learning about our users. Not just learning about them, you know, in a how many people play our game or whatever sense, but like learning about them as individuals. You know, I go to their live streams. I go hang out and and I listen to them talk in their live streams about what they're doing. And I'm And here's the thing that's fascinating to me about millennials and and I have I've kind of learned to love the millennial. I I used to be kind of, you know, as as all us generation Xers are, I used to be kind of dismissive of them and, you know, oh, they all got participation trophies and all that other bullshit you hear about millennials. But here's what I've really learned about them. They have been raised in a world where marketing has been raised to this extreme level and where everything is something that's being sold to them and they're highly cognizant of it. They absolutely know when they're being sold to. They absolutely know when someone's being disingenuous. They absolutely know what is real and not real because they've had so much fake shit shoved at them their whole lives. And over this whole journey over the last year of getting to know our users and getting to know you know, the people who are on my live stream and going to other people's live streams and interacting with them, what I've really learned about this generation, about these millennials is They are perhaps the most sincere generation I've ever interacted with. And in many ways, I think for those of us like, you know, the Generation Xers like myself who grew up just absolutely steeped in distrust and irony, we almost want to see this sincerity as being naive, but they're not naive. Millennials aren't naive. What they are is they're extremely cognizant of what's real and what's not real, and they flock to what is sincere. And it makes marketing to them extremely difficult because they can can sniff out insincerity. They know when you're bullshitting them. They know when you're trying to sell something to them. And I think one of the real successes of our outreach efforts in trying to get people involved in the community has been that we have been very honest and that we have been very real, that I'm very unguarded. I tell people about my real life and I tell them about my problems and we're, we're honest about, you know, hey, we tried to do this thing and it didn't work and it sucks and we're sorry. And, and the less polished we've been and the more sincere that we've been, the more successful we've been. And when we have bent to being more polished and giving sort of more corporate kind of sounding uh, feedback, etc., that's when our audience is always pulled away because I think they can smell that insincerity. And so it was very fascinating for me to go down there and realize what we had done and the value of what we had done in building this incredible community of people that really, really cared about what we were doing and cared about our game and cared about, uh, you know, at the, at the risk of sounding uh, – uh, uh, touchy-feely about the whole thing who cared about me as an individual and um this is something I've never experienced in games you know I've made games that sold millions and millions of copies I made all you know series that you know hundreds of thousands of people played but I've never felt this way about games where I honestly feel like I'm part of a community and this game is being built by that community and they have this this incredible feeling of ownership in what we're doing they feel they can come in and give us notes and talk about what they want and we hear them it's a very exciting place to be and for me i look around and i see other gaming communities that are doing this that are being very successful and i realize this is the new innovation this is this is what you know, take your VR and take your new shaders and take your new distribution networks, blah, 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 all that other technical shit. It's all very interesting. But for me, the most fascinating thing that's happening in games right now is this, this creation of interactive communities between the developers and the people who are playing the game. This is why you see all these sandbox games being so huge because... Because the players are actually wanting to kind of be developers themselves, they want to get in and build stuff. They they want to be involved in this development. This is what the streaming is all about. People who want to play the game and people who want to interact with people who are playing the game, and they want to have people who have built the game coming in and interacting with them. This this is all very exciting, and and for me, um, this is really fascinating. And and I'll I'll, I'll give you one more sort of. You know, I, I could talk all about PAX, but you can go to the internet. You can find out what happened at PAX. But for me, this was the interesting part of PAX. And I, I think, you know, one of the most interesting things was um, we had people who asked their friends to come in and work our booth. And I, it, when you really think about it, I mean, how many products do you know where somebody goes and buys that product and is so involved in that product and loves that product so much that they say, you know what, I need my roommate or my friend or my husband to come along with me and help me sell this product because I want this product to sell better. Uh, That's dedication. You don't get that very easily. You don't get that. That's not something you can build quickly. But it's incredibly powerful. And for me, the challenge of 2017, the challenge of our next games, the challenge for BoomZap is to figure out, how do we take that level of dedication to what we're doing how do we take this community that is so uh interested in what we're doing and interested in our welfare and build that into a larger community for me that's my challenge for 2017 i think it's a very interesting challenge um so yeah that's what i wanted to talk about on the podcast today we're something like 30 minutes now so i'm going to i'm going to wrap it up this is going to be one of our shorter podcasts Hopefully this is interesting and hopefully we'll continue this in the next podcast. I'm hoping to have a couple of my developer friends come in and interview. I'll actually be leaving uh, tomorrow evening to go, or actually not tomorrow, the day after tomorrow evening, I'll be going to Berlin where I'll be going to Casual Connect and meeting a bunch of developers and talking about games. So probably the focus for the next podcast uh, next week will be what's happening at Casual Connect and my experiences there. So hopefully we'll get that up and maybe that's interesting for everybody. So anyway, that's all we've got for today. Thank you very much. And, uh, I'll talk to you guys again next time.